Yeah, that's that's just another stigma that they're too old to work there or they're too old school or they're, they're stuck in their ways. That's not true. All you need to do is give people an opportunity, to give them an opportunity to flourish and be who they are and do what they love. And um, if you do that, then you'll really be um, giving your business a, a new lifeline. For everybody, the pandemic has been a time of great upheaval, change, flexibility. It's been a bit of a roller coaster. But some people have really made the best of a difficult situation. Today, we are talking to Hash Tire, who owns Burger Tree and a whole lot of other things in Melbourne. He's an incredible young entrepreneur, and I'm super excited to bring him into the conversation for what I'm sure is going to be a really inspiring and enriching chat. Hash, welcome to Dirty Linen. Good afternoon, Danny. Thanks so much for having me on your podcast. Oh, look, I'm really thrilled to have you on the show because you're, yeah, you're, you're a bit of a, a different a different case. Normally we talk to people who are, you know, in restaurants, um, your businesses are a little bit different. Uh, but yeah, I would love you to give us a bit of an overview of your portfolio. Yeah, so, um, at the, so I, I'm the CEO of a company called Consortium Food Group. Um, I'm the CEO and founder. And as part of Consortium Food Group, we've got um, the Victorian Easy Mart stores. Um, we've got Bean Lab, the Fresh Prince, um, which is a cafe bar. We've got Mi Pasto, which is a chain of pizza um, pizza takeaway restaurants. And we've got Burgatory. It's amazing. How many outlets do you have all together? At the moment, we've got 35. Um, by the end of this year, we'll be sitting closer to 50. And how old are you? Uh, 30 years old. And what age were you when you had your first business? I actually bought my first business, um, well, started my first business when I was 17. Well, I've got a 17-year-old at my house and I can tell you she's not on the verge of starting a business. So it's a really, <laughs> yeah, it's a really incredible story. And since I... If they need any advice, I'm more than happy to give them. Uh, that's so nice. Well, yeah, I'm sure if she listens to this podcast, she'll get heaps of, of tips and inspiration. Um, so, Hash, tell us, I mean, let's start at the beginning. Tell us about your background, um, about the time, you know, when you came to Australia and how you got started. Yeah. So, um, I'm, I'm originally a Palestinian and um, I moved to Jordan when I was two years old. Um, when I was 10, my family moved to Qatar. So, we relocated to Qatar. I went to a uh, leadership academy. So, I would sleep at home um, on the weekends and I'd sleep at school during the week. Um, I travelled all over the world uh, as part of the Leadership Academy. Um, we went to the United Kingdom, um, Wales, Germany, Russia, um, the United States, um, and I was doing my academics while I was also doing military training. Um, when I was 16, I, I graduated from the Leadership Academy and I, happened, I, I was able to convince my dad to let me move to Australia with my auntie. Um, so I moved here when I was 16, turning 17 in 2007. Um, moved here really hungry. Um, I'm naturally an ambitious person. Uh, watching the struggles my parents went through um, really motivated me. Um, I wanted to be able to give back to my parents that worked so hard to put food on the table and uh, put a roof over our heads. Um, so I... I moved to Australia when I was 16, 17, and uh, started working in call centres, had a job at Luna Park, did some labouring, did some landscaping, 
um, anything really just to keep going. The Leadership Academy, was that like an international school or was that a Qatari kind of um, institution? What was the story with that? So I was actually the only foreigner at Qatar Leadership Academy at the time. Um, it's, it's, a, it's an international academy, but there were only Qataris in the academy. So the, the academy was actually ran by um, the British Army. Right. Yeah, so it, it, was, it was really interesting. And, I mean, you said you're an ambitious person by nature. I mean, was it already something that burnt within you that took you there or was it something that was your parents' idea? Like, how did that come about? So um, I've naturally got a lot of energy. Um, my my teachers used to always uh, complain to my parents that I finished my work faster than everyone else and then distract others. Um, so I was, I was a bit of a handful for my parents, but um, I actually convinced my parents to let me go there because – it was it was known um, as being an extraordinary and um, difficult and advanced academy. Um, I always considered myself um, an advanced learner, um, and the fact that you can learn leadership um, skills and also learn your academics at the same time was something that really appealed to me. Um, yeah. Amazing. Okay, so you came here. Um, you were you had what sounded like about a million jobs at once. Did you have something in mind, or was it just like let's just try everything and see what happens? So I was actually um, I went to I started going to Victoria University when I was seventeen years old, um, and I, I wanted to try anything and everything just to see what really gelled with me. But I also wanted to be able to fund an idea that I had. Um, and that idea was my first business, which was um, it was called Electronics on the Move. And I was importing electronics from China, Japan, and France and reselling them online and also doing drop shipping, which wasn't as popular as what it is now um, back when I was 17. Okay. And so that's the first business that you started? Yeah, correct. And how did that go? Yeah, it actually did really well. So, um, there was a certain technology that I actually brought into Australia. I was the first person to bring it. If, um, I'm not sure if you remember, the iPhone 3s had a portable charger that plugged into the bottom of them that um, gave you an extra charge. I was actually the first person in Australia to import that technology, and I had it patented. And um, I sold it to a larger company, which gave me a pretty hefty payout um, when I was 18, as soon as I turned 18, which was really good. It was my first business milestone. <laughs> That's amazing. And so what happened next? Um, so next I actually started working in the security industry and from there um, I bought into a security company. Um, I only bought a 10% stake into it. It was doing really well. Uh, from there, this is pretty random, but I bought a donut factory in Campbellfield. So, As you do. <laughs> yeah, so it was, um, that, that, that was a really great um footstep into uh, the hospitality world. Um, we were supplying the likes of BP, um, Espresso Lane, um, Caltex, and, and a few other um, um, service stations, which, which was really great. Wow. And is that how you sort of got into the convenience store side of things? That's a great question. That's exactly where it led me. So um, I heard of a group called EasyMart that weren't actually in Victoria um, at that time. And I baked, I baked a fresh tray of donuts, um, flew up to Sydney, uh, went to the head office, um, the EasyMart head office, and I met the CEO who's, um, who's become a great friend of mine, um, tried to sell him the donuts, 
they they didn't buy the donuts, but um, I made a great friendship out of that, and that's um, how I got my foot in the door with Easy Mart. Yeah. So since I um, heard you know a little bit, or learnt a little bit about you, I've been seeing Easy Marts all over the place. So they're basically like you know, it's it's a 24-hour convenience store, I guess, like a 7-Eleven, but um, it sounds a bit different as well. Is Are they franchises or are they fully owned? So Easy Mart, um, they're not franchises. They're company-owned stores. There are some franchise stores. Um, the Victorian stores, however, uh, um, we hold the master franchise license for them. So um, we actually own all the Victorian ones. Um, they are like a 7-Eleven, but we have a lot of imported products that you wouldn't find on the normal shelves of a normal convenience store or 7-Eleven. Um, and, yeah. What kinds of things? Like, what do you think is your point of difference? Well, we've got um, all the U.S. soft drinks, U.S. cereals, um, U.K. confectionery, U.S. confectionery, um, all the different gums, um, all, all those sorts of stuff. Okay. And... Um... And so is that what led to Burgatory? No, so the, the, the story of Burgatory is really interesting. So um, I brought EasyMart to Melbourne in 2014. Um, and from there, my third EasyMart store was at, Easy, at Footscray, Footscray train station. And um, there was a convenience store across the road on the corner. They closed down and um, 7-Eleven, 7-Eleven actually put in a tender to take the lease there. Now, had 7-Eleven taken that store, it would have um, really impacted my Easy Mart, which was at the train station. So um, I took the lease, not knowing what I wanted to do there. Um, I, I was brainstorming through a lot of ideas. I wasn't actually in, um, in hospitality at that time in terms of QSR businesses. Um, I decided to put a pizza shop there. So I did a lot of research, visited a lot of other pizza, um, popular pizza stores, and... Um, yeah, I, I designed it and did the whole build myself, which was really exciting. Um, we quickly became Footscray's most popular um, pizza takeaway store. It was on the corner. We were selling by the slice to commuters that were walking by. Um, it was really, it was really, really, um, really cool spot. Um, an agent walked in one day when I was work, working, and he asked me if I was interested in expanding to Braybrook. Um, and they were opening up a new local shopping center with a Coles chemist warehouse, post office, and all that sort of stuff. And uh, he asked me if I was interested in going there. I said I would only go there if I could open three stores there. He said, why three stores? My answer was simple. It was I wanted, I wanted to own the monopoly of the food in that center. So I opened a uh, um, coffee kiosk, which is Bean Lab, in the middle of the shopping center. I opened me pasto, which is the pizza shop. And next door to me, Pasto, I opened um, Burgatory, which was our first Burgatory in 2018. Uh, I love it. So, so those two new brands plus the existing pizza place basically arose because you saw an opportunity and you thought, well, if I'm getting in here, I want to own the space. I just want it. I want it to be. I want. I want it to be me. Exactly. Um, we're surrounded by schools. We're surrounded by young families. Um, I saw it as an opportunity where a lot of people would look at Braybrook and think, oh, it's, a, it's, it's not the right demographic for these sorts of businesses. I saw an opportunity where these sorts of businesses um, didn't really exist, especially with the type of customer service and the quality that we offer. So tell me about the way that you 
can save the businesses? I mean, let's talk about Burgatory just in terms of the quality and the offer. Where did you try to position yourself and what kinds of considerations did, came into play? So uh, that's another great question because our focus at the moment is um, an aggressive expansion with Burgatory. So we're putting a lot of our resources and efforts into Burgatory, um, which is uh, which, which has been really good and really fruitful. With Burgatory, what, what we wanted to do was to actually create an experience. Eating a burger is boring. Going to a normal burger shop is boring. What I wanted to do was bring together an entire experience of great customer service, great tasting food, and great aesthetics. I wanted people to actually enjoy coming into our venues and um, to, to feel like their money is being well spent rather than um, indulging in a quick burger and then thinking, oh, well, I didn't really get much other than a burger. We want it to be more than the, um, that takeaway local burger, burger joint. Okay. Well, I mean, take me there. Like, what, is it, what does it feel like? What does it look like? So you walk into one of our stores, um, it's, they're all very bright. We've got great LED artwork um, that's designed per location. So most stores now have um, angel wings that people can take photos um, holding their burgers with. So bright, bright LED, it's really, it's really cool. So Burgatory is actually based off Purgatory, which is the seven deadly sins. Um, so essentially you need, you need to go through hell before you get to heaven. So um, our, our angel wings have flames at the bottom and then you're, you're a sinful angel, pretty much. Um, so you, That's so good. You know, it's really cool. You definitely have to check, in, check out one of the, one of the stores. Um, yeah, well, it sounds like it won't be too hard for me to do that because you've got, what, nine stores and you're planning another eight this year? Uh, eight in the next three months. So, and, and, uh, yeah, <laughs> we've got a lot of work ahead of us. Um, I mean... Is it to me? Does it is it a food business for you? Is it is the sort of is the culinary chops really important to you, or is it about being an entrepreneur? To be honest, for me, it's it's about being an entrepreneur, but it's also about um, offering our customers um, something different. I love seeing the smile on people's faces while they're eating our burgers, but I also love people taking selfies. So I'm not sure if you've been on our Instagram page, but Every day we'll get about 30 to 40 selfies of people um, taking selfies with the food because our food's colourful, it's bright. The way we display it is really artistic. Um, it stands out. It's not like your ordinary burger joint where you just you grab your food and it's boring in a brown plain box. Um, we've really we really went into a lot of effort in designing all of our packaging, designing our stores. Um, we, we we've tried to think of everything, but. The, the beauty about us is we're not comfortable and we're not going to get comfortable. We want to continue innovating. We want to continue to change. We want to continue to level up the customer experience. Um, yeah. Amazing. And I'd love you to talk about, you know, what the pandemic's been like for you. Obviously, there's been so much upheaval and heartache, but there's also been a lot of opportunity. Uh, tell us uh, how you've made your way through it all. So for me personally, um, the pandemic really affected Easy Mart. Um, with Easy Mart, we heavily rely on foot traffic and tourists, um, and obviously, and students, which obviously we haven't really had in the last, I'd say, 15 months. Um, but in terms of our QSR businesses, they've been booming. Because of a lot of people staying at home, um, and especially during that five kilometer radius, people were actually forced to 
navigate through their localities and to actually um, to actually go out there and explore and see um, the cafes in their areas, the burger shops in their areas, pizza shops in their areas. Um, they it, it really changed the human behavior. So instead of people going out to Ligon Street for a nice um, pasta or parma or a pizza, that they found hidden gems in their own areas. So the pandemic really um, changed and formed a new human behavior and a new pattern for a lot of people. And that really benefited us um, because our, our shops are actually in local, um, in local suburbs um, where, where there's a pretty dense um, uh, population of people. But the, the real reason that we actually benefited during the pandemic is because of people's fear. And by people, I mean the landlords. Um, the landlords were scared that they wouldn't be able to rent out their spaces. They were scared that their tenants were going to close up shop and leave. Um, and they've obviously got their own responsibilities, as we all do. Um, and that really, that really helped us out um, in, in the likes of Chapel Street, where we took up an iconic corner, uh, which was the formerly known as Hungry Jack's, um, near a lot of nightclubs. So we took that in anticipation that the that life would will go back to some sort of normality. And so that's got that one hasn't opened yet, has it? No, that one has opened, and that one's been trading really well, especially with all the nightclubs around us. We've got Blue Bar, we've got Love Machine, we've got Lux. Um, that's amazing. And so you've been able to basically strike really good deals because the premises were empty and landlords were concerned. Yeah, correct. So um, due, due to our brand and the success of our brand, the landlords um, can see the effectiveness of what we're doing and the trajectory of what we're doing. I'll give you an example. Um, in, in the last 12 months, um, our revenue in total as a company has jumped up 373%, which is huge. It's, un, it's unheard of. It's, it's big numbers. Yeah, so it's, um, it's, it's been exciting. I mean, so you've had the Easy Mart that's been suffering, Burgatory obviously going gangbusters. What's that been like for you as, uh, as the CEO or the owner where you're, um, you know, juggling these different trajectories, I'm sure different emotions? What's it been like for you personally? So if we reflect back about 15 months ago, um, in my head office, it was me and um, one person, which was my branding and marketing um, manager. Um, fast forward to today, we've, um, we've got nine people in head office. Um, and it's, it's, been, it's been extremely, it's been ex- extremely um, challenging in terms of navigating how to set that foundation in a, in a way where our structure will not collapse. And I think we've really done that really well. So before the aggressive expansion, I spent a lot of money and a lot of time in, in setting the foundation and making sure that the foundation was solid for the growth that we're experiencing right now. So what, what goes into creating a solid foundation? Um, it's, it's, all, it's all the right people to, be, to begin with. It's the right people. It's the right staff. It's the, it's the right sort of leadership. And this is where it takes me back to being at Qatar Leadership Academy. Um, we, we learned all about leadership, which involved um, integrity, honesty, hard work, um, and all that sort of stuff. So we, we had to hire the right HR manager. We had to um, hire the right operations manager. We had to hire um, 
the right strategic officer and just to really align ourselves with the right teams and the right people. So it's, I mean, it sounds, you're sort of talking about some really, I guess, core values there. I mean, would you say it's a values-driven business? I I definitely think that our business is very um, values-driven. If you go into any of our stores um, or any of, um, or speak to any of our managers and you ask them about the direction and the leadership that that um, that we lead with, um, it, they'll tell you that it's it's very motivating and inspiring. If I walk into one of my shops and they're really busy, I'll jump in behind the post system. I'll jump in on the grill. I'll jump in on the salad bar. I'll go and do dishes. I'll take out the rubbish because at the end of the day, um, the, the the leadership that I lead with is um, is a leadership that we're all one, that we're all united. And that when when one of us is down, we're all down, and when we're up, we're all up. Yeah, it's really inspiring. It's it's certainly. I mean, I guess Seven Eleven was in the news a couple of years ago for all the wrong reasons, and I suppose I feel like you know walking into um, a franchise business where people were not being looked after properly um, would be a really different feeling to walking into an Easy Mart where the owner of the whole business is ringing up my chewing gum. Yeah, that's right. Um, I, I take pride in saying that we treat our workers um, we treat our workers well. So I'm always available for all my staff. We've got um, almost 400 staff now, and I'm available around the clock for them. And they know that if they, if they need to have a chat about something that's happening in their life, if they need to have a chat about work, um, me and the head office team and myself we're always available and willing to give a helping hand. Because at the end of the day, our teams are the forefront of our business and they're the reason that we're successful. All, all we've done is bring the right team together, but they're the ones that have executed everything. Hash, I know that you've had your mental health challenges through the course of your life. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, of course. So um, I'm, I'm pretty open when it comes to my mental health challenges. And the reason being is because I don't think it's anything to be ashamed of. And I think that if, if one man can speak out about it, then um, he'll be helping another. A lot of, there's, there's a stigma against um, men and their mental health and I'm, I'm here to tell them that that it is okay to speak up about it it is okay to ask for help and it's okay to not be okay um, because we're at the end of the day we're all human and we all go through emotions and there's nothing wrong with um, acknowledging and working through those emotions so for me when I moved here I obviously moved here by myself um, I left my entire family overseas um, I've got a twin sister um, two younger sisters and an older brother. Um, I moved here alone and um, in the back of my mind, it was always um, in hope to be able to bring my family down here um, to offer them the, the life and the, and the comfort that, that I've experienced through my hard work. Um, so not having that support network was really difficult. Um, in my mid-20s, um, I broke my shoulder when I broke my shoulder, I went through a very um, deep state of uh, anxiety and depression. Um, and if it wasn't for the network around me, if it wasn't for the fact that I was open and willing to talk to people about it and to seek help, I don't think I would have been able to get through it. But I also think that my anxiety and my depression gave me the strength to keep marching forward and gave me the ability to be the leader that I am in motivating others, in supporting others, in never undermining or undervaluing another individual. Um, yeah. Wow, that's really amazing. So do you th- was it 
did you sort of have to hit rock bottom before you accepted that you were in a bit of strife and you needed to get some help? Or did you already have that framework, perhaps from the leadership college or, or wherever it was, that you you sort of identified that you were, um, weren't doing too well and you reached out earlier? I definitely had to hit rock bottom. So when I, when I started getting uh, my anxiety attacks, my panic attacks and the symptoms, I didn't know what they were. I was in, emer- in the emergency department every night. I was in the emergency department every night um, uh, complaining that I had heart problems and I thought I was having a heart attack and blah, 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 because I never actually understood what panic and anxiety were. Because if you, if, if, if you're not, if you, don't un- if you don't know the symptoms, then you don't know what you're going through. So until I knew what I was going through and I understood what I was going through, I wasn't actually able to get the help that I needed. So I I think understanding the symptoms and understanding what you're going through is really important. Yeah. Well, I mean, even you saying that and for people listening to it, you know, just to be able to put a name to something that you might be feeling physically, I think that's so powerful and so helpful. Um, so, yeah, I mean, good on you for using what you've been through to to help others. I'm sure it's incredible for your employees and, yeah, people around you. Well, it's not just for my employees. For, any, for anyone listening, you can all find me on LinkedIn. I'm more than happy to have a chat with anyone. Um, I'm more than happy to help you navigate through any of your problems, um, whether it's an emotional problem or advice. I, I just I, I want to be someone that's there to support others. It's... Um, at the end of the day, we, we, we all, we're all born the same way and we're all going to die the same way. I think that more people need to help each other rather than um, look at their own self-greed and see what they can get. It's, I think life's about what you can give and what you can receive rather than just what you receive. Mm. Hash, tell us about your family. Have you been able to get them over here? Yeah, so that's probably one of the proudest um, achievements um, of my career and my life. That um, I was able to bring my family here about three and a half years ago. Um, bought my youngest sister. She went to a local school. She's now graduated and um, she's in university, RMIT. I'm super proud of her. Um, my parents are very proud. My parents are very comfortable, which is the most important thing for me. Um, so how long ago did you were they able to come here? Um, about three and a half years ago. It's so amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's really it's really it's 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 awesome. Hash um, Palestine's often in the news, and it's there's obviously been a lot going on in Israel and Palestine recently. How much does your Palestinian heritage um, mean to you? So my Palestinian heritage um, means a lot to me. It's um, it's it's embedded into my DNA. Um, all I all I long for is a long-lasting peace between um, the both people. I don't I don't I don't um, harbor any hatred or dislike towards anyone. My my dream is is of um, is of peace and for for everyone to get along. Yeah, I mean, it it should be that simple. <laughs> only if only it was. Unfor- uh, if only it was. Unfortunately, it isn't. But um, you can only hope and dream, and just like. Um, once upon a time, I had a hope and dream, and I, I achieved it. I hope that um, both that both parties overseas can achieve um, the hope and dream that millions around the world have for them. Mm, beautiful, um, Hash. 
I need to ask you about your time management skills because I, I, I truly believe that you, you're very genuine when you say you'll talk to anyone about anything and help anyone through. But I just want to know how you fit it all in with these, these big, these, this business empire that you're building. And um, yeah, like, how do you do it? What's your strategy? My strategy um, has become working with my team. It's being a great delegator. And I think part of being a great leader is being able to delegate the right jobs to the right people. Um, I've built the right framework around me where I can delegate the, the right jobs to the right people. But um, I'm, I'm also creating a, a, a great um, work-life balance, which has only really come, um, come to fruition in the last week. So something I haven't told you is um, I actually had a stroke last week. And I got out of hospital yesterday. Oh, what? <laughs> oh, my God. Are you okay? Oh, I'm, I'm 100% fine. I feel like a million dollars, but um, it, it was definitely a wake-up call. What happened? Um, I'm not sure. I was in, um, I was in a meeting with, uh, with my staff and my managers, and I lost feeling to my left arm and the left-hand side of my face. But it only lasted about two hours. It was a, it was a minor stroke, but um, definitely a wake-up call. I think being in this industry, you you forget to look after yourself, um, and that's something I definitely did. So, what do you think it was a wake up call to do? Um, more exercise, um, better eating. So, I'm I'm constantly around um, I'm constantly around fast food, and although I think our food is amazing, I think that having that balance um, is extremely important. Um, I feel like taking the time out for yourself and for your, for your own fitness is extremely important. So things that I've put in place, uh, mindful meditation. Um, I bought a push bike yesterday, which is great. Um, I'm planning on going back to the gym. Um, yeah, all those sorts of things. Well, gyms are going to be open as well, so you actually can. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited for it. I can't wait. Uh, are there any other big things that you want to drop in the last few minutes of our conversation? <laughs> no, not um, only that we're going national by the end of the year. So I, I can't wait for that. We've got some really exciting and big news um, coming out in the next couple of weeks. Um, Burgatory has really gained um, traction. It's gained a lot of popularity and for all the right reasons. So I'm really excited about the journey ahead. That's great. So, Hash, it's obviously a really stressful time for restaurateurs and all business owners through this period. Um, what advice have you got for, let's say, you know, a re- an owner of a small cafe or even a large restaurant um, or somebody that's working in a business that's doing it pretty tough? What kinds of things could people look to to improve their situation both personally and in business? So, it, it all comes down um, to your overheads. You- they need to be able to watch their overheads, calculate their labor, calculate their cogs, understand what's coming in and what's going out of the business. And I, I can tell you that there's um, a much higher figure than 70% of people don't actually understand what money is coming in and what money is going out of their business. And that's, that's the biggest problem because they're not managing cash flow. But if we're talking about anything other than cash flow, um, you really need to be hiring the right people. Um, you can hire one person that does the same job as two others, and you need to. And, and there's plenty of people looking for jobs at the moment. So um, don't rush. Don't be desperate. Um, 
and just pick the right people for your business. Pick the right people that respect your business, that love your business. But for that to happen, for that to occur, you need to respect them and treat them right as well. It's so interesting that you say there are plenty of people looking for work because what I'm hearing from a lot of hospitality people is that there are no staff. Now, I I disagree with that. And um, the reason I disagree is because people that can't find staff are the people that are looking for those international students or for tourists that they can pay less than what the um, award rate is. If If you're happy and willing to pay the award rate, if you're happy to do the right thing by your employees, you won't struggle to find employees. We've opened um, we've opened four stores this year. Um, we're opening up another nine in the next um, few months, as I, as I mentioned earlier. We've already hired our staff for the next nine stores. Um, we haven't struggled to find staff. And I think it's because of the atmosphere and the environment that, that we offer our staff. You need, to, you need to be treating your staff the way that staff want to be treated, the the days of the days of being a dictator, the days of being rude, thinking that people are beneath you are, are done and dusted. We live in a we we live in a world of equality now, and it's all about how you treat your coworker. And I look at my staff as my coworkers, not my staff, because at the end of the day, we work side by side with each other. I wonder if it's also that you're able to bring people in without skills and train them up in your businesses that's that's a great point so we've got a rigorous training um program and um we we do train people up so we'll take on juniors we'll take on um even older people that no one wants to hire because they think that they're too old and they've they've got no idea um we'll take on anyone everyone we'll give them a chance and opportunity and i think that's what sets us aside yeah, I mean, that's a really amazing point about the older workers because I think a lot of older workers do find it incredibly hard even to get a look in. Um, so to think that, yeah, they could be working at a, at a cool burger store, I think that's that's really amazing. Yeah, that's that's just another stigma that they're too old to work there or they're too old school or they're, they're stuck in their ways. That's not true. All you need to do is give people an opportunity, to give them an opportunity to flourish and be who they are and do what they love. And... Um, if you do that, then you, you'll really be um, giving your business a, a new lifeline. Wow. Well, Hash, it's been so amazing to have the opportunity to talk to you. I'm really uh, excited that you're here in Australia doing what you're doing, um, bringing the great energy and opportunity that you're bringing to, um, yeah, to our hospitality and retail world. Wish you all the best with the expansion. And, yeah, um, hit the gym, eat a salad, uh, get some sleep, <laughs> look after yourself, mate. I really appreciate you having me on the show and I appreciate all the opportunities um, that I've had and I appreciate the opportunities that I've got moving forward to help others. Um, and, it's, and it's thanks to the hardworking individuals like yourself that are putting that energy out there and, um, and showcasing what's happening um, in, in the industry. So thanks a lot for that. Yeah, well, no worries. Um, You take care. We'll stay in touch. Yeah, easy. Look after yourself. Thanks so much, Danny. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. 
Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.